Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. The sermon title this morning is Proclaim His Excellencies. Proclaim His Excellencies. James and Carol may remember this. The first sermon I preached at Christian Covenant Fellowship back in 2013, I believe, was this text, these two verses. I've got to preach these two verses a couple times since then, and I love these passages because it deals with some of the biggest questions in life, and it deals with some of the biggest questions in life with such clarity. It tells us why we exist and why Jesus came to save us. And it's pretty important that we answer those questions about existence. People ask those and try to run to and fro across the earth trying to get answers for those questions. Why do we exist? Why did Jesus come? And we live in a day where people want to determine the reason for their existence. So they just want to come up with reasons why we exist and then go out and pursue that reason. And we end up wondering why people are walking in depression and confusion without a firm foundation is because they're, they're getting answers from in here inside of, of them in their own heart rather than from God's word. And today, if we can settle the questions, uh, it's going to do us a lot of good. And many of you already know this. You know why you exist, what you were made for. You're walking in that. Sounds like somebody's trying to get in here. So we got anybody there? Okay, good. It's going to go open the door there. Hi, how's it going? Oh, it wasn't you. Oh, well, hey, dad. Good morning. Dad arrived fashionably late, but he's here. Good morning. All right. So if we can get answers to those questions, it's going to do us a lot of good, and, uh, and it's, going to be able to, it's going to help you. It's going to equip you to be able to answer people's questions, because these are just basic to life. Why do I exist? Why did God make us? And you can say, oh, you know, actually, I know a passage. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse 9 and 10, and we can get some answers why. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things were created through him and, anybody know? For him. Through him and for him. We were created for Jesus' sake. We know why we exist. We exist for the glory of God. It's the very reason why we're created, but it's also the reason why Jesus came to rescue us for his glory, that we could do some things and respond to him and proclaim his very own excellencies. God's glory is why we are on a global mission called the Great Commission. We're taught to go and baptize and teach the nations. And when we baptize and teach the nations, what ends up happening as we go, go forth into this world is worshipers are created. And instead of worshiping their, their self or instead of worship, worshiping the way of the world or worshiping the devil, they start worshiping the God of the universe. John Piper famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. So why are we on mission? Because we want the glory of God to spread throughout the whole earth. So missions exist for a greater purpose than just salvation of sinners, although that's what we want to see. What happens when somebody is saved is they turn into a worshiper of the Most High God. Missions exist because worship doesn't. We have a purpose in this life, and God saved us for that purpose. So we're going to hit the bullseye this morning. We're going to get some firm foundation to stand on and to build on, and it's going to be pretty great. Look at verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Two verses and powerful, powerful verses. And we get to look at them this morning. But you, the first two words, but you. This is in contrast to verse verse 8, okay? Because in verse 8 we find that there were those who stumbled over the rock of offense. There were those who believed and received honor, but then there were those who looked at this rock of offense, Jesus, and stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. And to contrast that are these two words in verse 9, but you. So we are different than those in verse 8. By the grace of God, we're not the ones who have stumbled over this rock of offense. We are in this separate category, by God's grace, categorized as those who are Four big things. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. So we're in this other group, and we're going to get some identifying markers about who this group is. And and we're in this group right here this morning. Those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have not stumbled, those who have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, those who have received honor and glory. It's all by grace. And then we're going to get these, we got those who stumbled as they were destined to, and then for us this morning, these four identities. Now, this is going to scratch the surface. In the scriptures, we have all these identifying markers of who believers are. We've worked through this before, and these words, I think, are really important for us to understand so we don't get pigeonholed into one of these identities. But you've heard me say before that we are clay, and that's a great thing that we're clay because we have a molder. There's a potter. We're also sheep, and it's a really good thing that we're a sheep, um, and sheep are, are silly, foolish, and dumb. We need a shepherd. Because sheep run after wolves, and they think wolves are their buddies, and sheep will walk off a cliff. So we need, we need a shepherd to guide us, and so we can, we can look at that identity and see really good things there. And we go down the list, and we, we, we see really great things about our identity as saints and sons and daughters and slaves of, the, of our master Jesus. And all of these are great. And today, like that, we're going to get some identifying markers of the believer. Paul's going to, I mean, Peter's going to give us four. Now, these are not an exclusive list. These are just like, these are some things that you are. And the list really could go on and on and on, but when we see these, we have to understand that they are ours by grace, and I'm going to look at each of these four, starting with being a chosen race. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. These are identifying markers. You are a chosen race. That's who you are. You wonder, well, who am I? Where do I come from? It's big to get into these genealogies. You you get this where you pass off your genetic code into what dad's done it. What's that? Me and DNA, DNA, McGee and me or something like that. That's me 23. Okay. 90s Christians may have understood what I just said. McGee and me. So, or uh, ancestry.com, you can send your, your blood, blood in. They do this, this thing. And and it's a big thing to wonder who I am and where I, where I came from. But here is just this great word from the Lord that's saying about believers in Jesus. This is believers in the dispersion, both Jew and Gentile. Those that came from the Jewish line, the bloodline of Abraham, and those who did not come from the Jewish line, the bloodline of Abraham, here both being called a chosen race. There is two different people in the world. We, we see sheeps, sheep and goats. Those, last week we've seen those in the elect and those that are reprobate. Those that are in, those that are out. Those who have believed and then those who are stumbled. There's two, always two groups. And here, we're told that we are of this chosen race. Now, why why is that important to understand? 
Well, I mean, we have to understand the original audience. Like I said, this would have been quite an alarming thing to be told that you are a chosen race if you are both Jew and Gentile in the room. Because we know that God chose Israel in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament and we know that God reprobated every other nation. God chose Israel to be his nation, his people. And he didn't choose the Moabites, for instance. He didn't choose any of the nations in Canaan. He didn't choose any of the nations of the world. He only chose Israel. And yet within Israel, we find out as we preach through the book of Hosea, we find that there are those within Israel, the bloodline of Israel, that were actually the real Israel, the true Israel. Just to be a Jewish person didn't make you a child of God. That's why Jesus and John the Baptist both said to those Jewish people that were against him, he calls them children of the devil. It's not an automatic in to be a part of God's chosen people ethnically. What really matters is God's grace upon them and looking with faith, anticipating with faith, the promises of God from the Old Testament to New. Faith is the issue. Within that Israel, there was Jacob and Esau. Within that Israel, there was Hosea preaching to the rebellious Israel or Jeremiah preaching to rebellious Israel. There were those in the Hebrews Hall of Faith in the Old Testament who looked forward with anticipation about what God would do. So there's that Israel within Israel we've talked so much about. Those that were chosen by grace. Now what he's saying here is not that they are just this ethnic group, this ethnic race. What he is saying is that there is a race within humanity. There's the human race, all from different ethnicities, all different colors, but there's only one human race. There's no different races here. There's one human race. But within this human race, there's something that he's talking about here. And they are the chosen race that he's talking about. And that is believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those chosen by grace. This is not just a chosen nation limited to some ethnic state or boundaries that you can measure this many miles, this mountain to that mountain, this valley to that valley. This is a global group of people from all tribes and tongues, a chosen race. This is the church, God's chosen people. And we're united as God's chosen people across testaments, back from the Garden of Eden to the consummation of all things one day, everybody that's in the Lord Jesus Christ gets this identifying marker as God's chosen people. For every Christian, God chose you. Now that can be a point of debate from people, or it can be as its intended purpose stated here. It's a point of identification. You are chosen by God. It's intended to be a point of comfort for suffering people. God chose you. God picked you to be on his team. In spite of our sin and rebellion, God picked you because he has been merciful to you. You have been chosen not because of your goodness, not because, you know, you pick on the playground who you want to be, like who's the better person, who's the worst person. Some of you were picked first on the playground uh, kickball team. Some of you were picked last on the playground kickball team or wherever it is that sports are played. You're, you, they want you on the team or they don't want you to be on the team based on your competencies, based on your abilities. The amazing thing about God's choice over you it's not based on your competencies or abilities. It's based on God's mercy and love toward you. 
It's solely based not because of you, but in spite of you and totally and entirely on God. And the great privilege of being in this room is that we collectively are this group of people that God picked to be on his team. And the proper response to suffering Christians or those who are not suffering is simply, God, thank you. Thank you for picking me. Thank you for choosing me. I'm a chosen race. That's, it's an identifying marker. There's mechanics to that that can be somewhat confusing. But ultimately, there is a comfort in just simply knowing God chose me. I might be rejected by men. I might not be popular in this world. I might be picked last in a bunch of different disciplines, a bunch of different sports, a bunch of different whatever it may be. You may be on the bottom of the barrel being picked for whatever it may be in this world. But the God of the universe chose you. So what do you have to be sad about? What do I have to be sad about? God said, child, you're mine. Not only that, you're a royal priesthood. Identity number two today that we're talking about is a royal priesthood. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Now, we need to rescue passages like this from false teachers. You are a royal priesthood. You're royalty in this room. A royal priesthood. The church is, every one of us, a priest to the king. The king of kings. We are in his service. That's who we are. We're in the in group, the only in group that matters. And not because we got the attention of that in group, like I said, based on our competencies. We are solely in this royal priesthood because of the king. There are those that are in the priesthood of the devil or those who are in the priesthood of Christ. Everyone is a priest of some religion, even non-Christians. There's no such thing as an irreligious person. That person is a liar who says they have no religion. Worship is inevitable. There's no such thing as a human being that doesn't worship. The question is who or what is being worshipped and who and what is being sacrificed to. Because everyone sacrifices to their God either sacrificing to the God of self, the God of this world, to the state, to experts, to the devil, or to God. Worship is inescapable. We are built to be worshipers, and worship we will for all eternity. The question is, are we going to be consumed with lust of worshiping ourselves, or are we going to be worshipers of the Most High God? And here we're told that God's royal priesthood we offer spiritual sacrifices to God, the King. We're royalty in this room, every single one of us. Now, like I said, we need to rescue these passages from false teachers. We are a royal priesthood, not of our own goodness, power, or worth. We're a royal priesthood in the service of a king. We're not a royal priest that expects and demands that other people respect us. This is some of the air of twisting this. I'm a royal priesthood, therefore everybody bow down to me. This is who I am. Everywhere I walk, red carpet should un unfold. I should hit my foot and red carpet should roll out in front of me. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm the king's kid. Everybody think much of me. That's the twist. But the truth is, we are a royal priesthood doing the bidding of our king. This is who you are. 
So in your category of thinking, who am I, this needs to be a category. This is to be a comfort. Now, here's the thing. This is a group of people under already a, a big amount of persecution. So in the world, they're not being esteemed. They're not being looked at as, like, this is the, the bottom of the, this is the, 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 the dreg of, of humanity here. Like, this is the derelicts in their mind of, of society. These are those who had to be ran out of Jerusalem that had landed in these Gentile cities and were not being celebrated for their faith. They weren't being promoted. This is the, like, the fish on the back of the chariot thing doesn't get them business, kind of like today. Um... So, yet, in spite of that, in spite of public opinion about this group of people, they are a royal priesthood in the king's court. And friends, that, again, is great comfort. They're not only that, though, they're called a holy nation. A holy nation. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A holy nation. We are a nation with a king. This is important to understand. This is a global and multi-generational nation. This is a nation that has no end. It is a nation that's within every earthly nation. And it's a holy nation. Now, this nation, the kingdom that we are a part of, is intended to be a prophetic voice to the nations. Think about the Great Commission. We are to go forth into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is all the nations. There is a way of existence as God's people, the way we're intended to exist and live as this holy nation within a nation, that is this prophetic voice among the nations of the world. There's something we're calling the United States of America to. And for all this talk, you've heard this before, uh, about nationalism or globalism. You guys know the conversations. Every Christian should be, every person that lives in a nation should be a nationalist. And the way I've explained this before, if I'm elected as mayor of Carbondale, I don't spend all my time taking tax dollars away from the city of Carbondale and giving that to every single city around here, all the while mocking the citizens of Carbondale. You're elected to represent the people of this city. So this, this nationalism conversation, you say, well, I'm a nationalist, and people end up saying, like, well, you're just a Nazi fascist or something. No, I'm not that at all. Um, I just want to see people know Jesus in my country. I want come one, come all, come and see how this holy nation lives. Repent of your sins and start living in this nation, the kingdom of God. We are a holy nation. And what I want to see happen, this is with all my heart I want to see happen, I want to see more people in this area become a part of this holy nation. And when people become a part of the holy nation, what ends up happening is cities begin to be changed. Regions begin to be changed. We see this in the book of, in, in the book of Acts. We see the city of uh, Ephesus. And what ends up happening is their, their economy is being built by their paganism. Their economy is being fueled by the buying of these little statues, these little idols. And so many people, as Paul began to preach and the gospel went forth in the city, so many be people became a part of the holy nation, God's people, that the economy of the city of Ephesus began to be shaken. The foundation of that economy was shaken. So much so that they're like, hey, listen, we got to start a riot and we got to stop Paul from preaching this gospel because people are not buying our primary 
marketability, like what we can do with our skills and competencies, building these idols, people are, the, the market's dying out. People aren't buying it. The very economy, the foundation of that city was being changed and turned upside down. Because the people of God were educating that city how to live. And you don't live by worshiping false gods. You bow your knee to Jesus and you turn your back on false gods and follow Jesus. And Ephesus is better for it. Carbondale is better for it. Southern Illinois is better for it. It's Illinois is better for it. And the United States of America is better for it when more people become Christians and turn their back on false religion. When they walk away from the cultures that are built on false religion. Not all cultures are equal. And cultures that come out of the worship of false gods... The cultures that are built and built on secularism, those cultures need to die. Pluralism is of the devil. We are a holy nation. Instructing the nations of the world by how we exist, how things work in the kingdom of God. And so we want more and more people. And as an identifying marker, we have to know this is the nation that I'm a part of. And it knows no boundaries. I am in a citizen of this kingdom and this nation that I'm a part of. I love America, but the nation that has my ultimate loyalty, and you guys know that I love America, the nation that has my ultimate, ultimate loyalty is the nation called the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ. So I have brothers and sisters all across the world. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we prayed for the Christians in Ukraine. We also need to be praying for the Christians in Russia, the Christians in the Middle East, the Christians suffering around this globe, the Christians suffering in Canada, the Christians in our country that have been persecuted, the Christians in China, we are the nation of God. And we're instructing the world on how to live. We're a holy nation. Now, this is powerful again, seeing this um, holy nation and wanting to see the earthly nations of this world conform to the image of this nation. We think that, man, this Great Commission is such a massive Task. I mean, we got in the garden, fill the earth, global conquest. We see the Great Commission, disciple the nations, all the nations of the world, global conquest. Very difficult job. How are we going to do that? Well, we are a holy nation, one household at a time. For the Gentiles, they had always been a part of pagan nations. And now, these Gentile Christians are called a holy nation. Um... That's a good and proper thing. We need to understand that. For as much as we love our country and as much as other people in other countries love their country, and they should, patriotism is not a bad thing. However, the only, thing, only, only way patriotism can become a bad thing is when it becomes a worship thing. And right now there's a, there's a fine line. I don't exactly know where that line is. But our loyalty is to King Jesus over any nation. We're a people for his own possession. Now, these first three identifying markers are things that we like hearing, that, that are just, uh, we can like it and hear it and think, yes, that's good, yes and amen. Then there's this one here that at first glance isn't as uh, appealing to our ears because it says we are a people for his possession. We talked about this as we went through Titus chapter 2. Uh, we are servants with a master, King Jesus. He owns us. He bought us with a price. It was a precious price. And now we are in his possession. He owns us. We belong to him. 
legally his. He's not going to sell us. He's not going to mistreat us. He owns us. We are a people for his own possession. And when I think about myself, one of the things that I want to think about and I want you to think about is I am owned by another. I'm owned by Jesus. He owns me. I must glorify God with my body. I must glorify God with my life. I must glorify God because I am in the possession of him. He owns me. Now, in thinking about this, that he won us, he purchased us, and we belong to him, um, we have to understand that we march to the beat of his drum. We go where he calls us to go. We do what he calls us to do. And he gives us marching orders, and it's so great because I don't get to determine my marching orders in life. Whatever he tells me to do, that is what I will do. That's how we're built. And it's a good thing. What skills and competencies did God give you in this life? What, what are the spiritual giftings that he's given you? What are the natural abilities that he's given you? One of the great things about the Spirit of God is once we start seeing that, that the Spirit of God is working in our lives, the things that other people call just natural skills and abilities that they have, say, I'm really good with finance, or I'm really good with building, or I'm really good with fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is that you're good at. For other people, those are just natural, that genetics explain it away. Well, the genetics of my mom and dad, I, I, I'm just naturally gifted. And certainly, there are giftings that the Lord gives, sometimes even from like, you know, like Mozart was, was playing the piano. It's like he just, Jordan and I were talking about prodigies this week and how fascinating that is. The, the, the prodigy just, it's like they were born able to do something without having to learn it. They just, it's just in them. Christians begin to see, Christians in this holy nation begin to see, wait a minute, those are gifts from the Lord. The natural explanations aside, we have supernatural explanations that God has gifted us in this life and prepared good works in advance for us to walk in. So as people in his possession, what are the abilities that he's given you to do that others would just say, well, that's just natural, that you just say, well, that's just natural. Well, you can, you can fix things, okay? Well, that's God-given, praise God for it, and fix things to his glory and honor. You're in his possession, so do with your hands what brings glory and honor to him. Use the giftings and the abilities that he has given you. Use those as he has prescribed. When God gifts his children to do certain things, we are not at liberty because we're owned by another. We are not at liberty to use those giftings in any way we see fit. In other words, we're going to have abilities in this life um, you know, there is a, a good kind of cunning and an evil kind of cunning, a kind of cunning that, God, that Jesus commends, and then a kind of cunning that's also condemned. And you can use uh, wisdom and cunning in a very good way to bring a lot of good to people, or you can use cunning in a bad way and bring a lot of harm upon people. And yet it's a gift used to the positive and the negative. Giftings are like this. When God gifts us with abilities, physical and supernatural, which they all are supernatural, when God gifts us, he also describes the parameters around them and tells us how to use those gifts appropriately. So we want to honor him because we're in his possession. We don't get to say, well, God made me do this. He built me like this, and I find fulfillment in this. Therefore, I get to do it whatever way I want to do this in. No, you still have to do those giftings and, and anything that God has built you for in the way that he has prescribed them to be done because we are in his possession. And uh, we should all know this, that this is all, all of these things, the chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. These are all things that are given to us 
by grace. Jeremiah 13, 23 says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Can any of us change? Can a leopard change his spots? Can any of us change the color of our skin? We can't. Can a sinner be right before God? No. But God can do something about it. God has changed us. He makes sinners into saints. God does the impossible. And for each one of us, God has taken us out of an evil kingdom. And he's put us, put us in his kingdom. And we are citizens in that kingdom, amongst that people. And this is all by grace. God makes sinners into saints. God brings dead people to life. God makes his enemies his friends. God turns arch rivals into his sons. He turns the hell-bound man or woman toward heaven. He snatches those who are possessed by the flesh, the devil, and the world, and he makes him his own possession. This is what God has done for us. And we should never get over it. And now we get into the bullseye. Why? Why would he do that? Why would God do those things for us? Why create? I remember when I was in college, for those that are aware for the, of the conversation, I was an open theist for a while. That's how far the Lord has brought me. When I was in college, my final paper was on open theism. It was foolishness. It was driven by, largely driven by philosophy and trying to figure things out. Um, but I would ask the question, you know, why would God, why did God save? And I problem I had was with God's foreknowledge and what God foreknew and these things. And, and I remember somebody turned to me, his name was Ryan Britt. And I was like, why did God create us? And he just said, for his glory. It was like, a, like, duh. You know, for me, it was like this crisis that I'm trying to work out. And, uh, you know, it was like, hey, dude, it's, we're created for his glory. And we get today, why are we a chosen race? Why are we a royal priesthood? Why are we a holy nation? Why are we a people for his own possession? For what point? Is that an end of itself? Did God make the whole universe to make us the point? Or does salvation itself have a point? Does who you are and who you are in Christ, these four identities here, and then all the other identities we opened up talking about, is that for a greater point than simply you enjoying your salvation? Is it, is it something bigger than you? And so often, all we hear is that I'm the point, you're the point, we're going to make it all about you. And then we turn the message of God saving you into a message about you being the point, and that's it. And yet this text is going to give us a bullseye and tell us, here's why you are all of these things. Here's why you have these identities. Look with me at the second half of verse 9. You're a people for his own possession. That, that, okay? So here's why you're those things for this reason. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. If you've ever wondered why you were created, ever wondered why God would save sinners, here is why. For his glory, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. You are these things for the purpose of declaring, proclaiming the excellencies of him who did all this for you. This will save you a lifetime of wondering, a lifetime of shifting sand. This is the bullseye of why we exist. Is it hot in here? Anybody, by the way? Is it hot in here? It's a little bit hot, isn't it? Let's turn this down. It's, I am wearing a wool shirt, so that could be a reason too. This is the bullseye, why we exist. The excellencies of him, that's why. Um, so we get like an excellency starter pack. If I exist to proclaim his excellencies, if I'm a cho chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people of his own possession, if that's who Jared Sparks is, and, and I'm those things so I can proclaim his excellencies, it would be really nice if he would just go out and lay out for us a few excellencies that we're to proclaim. Give us some examples, please, Peter. Holy Spirit, please direct our attention to what exactly you're talking about. Don't, don't be ambiguous here. Bring, bring some clarity and tell me exactly then. Give me the one, two, three step process. What do you mean? And the Holy Spirit's like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So he lays out some excellencies for us. For example, excellency starter pack. Okay, here we go. The first excellency that we are to proclaim, the reason why we exist is to proclaim things like this. Remember, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just the excellency. One, two, three, here's an example. Throw it out there. And then there's infinitely, uh, there's an infinite amount more of excellencies. But here, let's just get, get the juices flowing here and let's get you going. Number one, you have been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're gonna look at three excellencies. Called out of darkness, and then identity, I have a people. And then three, uh, we have received mercy. But first, called out of darkness and into light. He has summoned you. Um, there's a book, Count of Monte Cristo, and there is a movie that's been made out of it with uh, Jim Caviezel. Some people know him as Jesus. Um, and Jim Caviezel, it plays Edmond Dantes, which is the central character of uh, the, the book, Count of Monte Cristo. And in this book. It's a story of revenge and redemption and all of this, but there's a scene in the movie that's just depicted so well where Edmond Dantes is unjustly condemned to prison. He's in prison and there is darkness. It is the worst of the worst. It's the Chateau Deep. It's like a terrible prison to be at, inescapable prison. It seems like he's never going to get out. He's just going to rot in this prison forever. So he's sitting there and there's just no hope of escape. I mean, it's just like there's, there's just no hope. And uh, he meets this priest, and this priest, this long, this relationship starts to build, and this priest begins to teach him, and, and uh, they come up with a scheme of how to get out of this prison. And, and there's a, a really powerful scene where um, he starts to tunnel, and he ends up escaping, and, and the next morning, out of the darkness, the scene moves from the dark night, and the next day, the sun's coming up, and the camera's on one of those like real things where it's going sideways. And, and the picture is Jim Caviezel on the beach, Edmond Dantes. And the first scene is him grabbing, you guys might remember this if you've seen the movie, the grabbing the sand and the water is lapping over his hand. And he's grabbing the sand and he opens his eyes and he realizes, I'm free. And he looks around and he can't believe it. And somehow, and I'm thinking, like, what, what about muscle atrophy? How could you possibly be running like this up and down the beach is what I'm thinking as I'm watching it. But he starts running up and down the beach, but you have to suspend your disbelief for a minute. So he's running up and down the beach, and the camera is so funny because all these people, like these pirates are standing right there. And as he's going, you know, you know like, ah, 
you know, just acting so goofy, the horrifying reality of somebody seeing you when you're acting the most goofy. Uh, I never act goofy ever, but um, <laughs> the camera spans, and then like all these pirates are there just watching him go crazy, you know? And uh, for him, though, the scene from darkness to light is so poignant, it's so powerful. And there are things that make it not a one-to-one comparison because he was working toward his escape. And for us, we were in the darkness liking it, chained down in the cell, not wanting to go anywhere, liking it. And the next scene is that it's like Jesus came and he busts us out of there and he takes us out of the darkness and he transfers us into this kingdom of light. You're now in this kingdom. God has rescued you out of there and now you are in this light and we are to proclaim that truth about what Christ has done for us. That's what God did for me. I was in despair, I was in darkness, and I liked it. And the light cannot be overcame by darkness. And Jesus came and overpowered the darkness and rescued me out of there, take the, took the chains and snapped them like it's just this tiny little, I mean, it wasn't even hard for him, just snap, pulls it. It's like there's no pressure at all, just snap, kingdom of light now. And that's where we are. So here's an excellency starter kit. Proclaim this stuff. This is what God did for you. He took you out of the darkness and put you in his marvelous light. And I love that the word marvelous light is there. Charlie Hall years ago wrote a song about that. Into marvelous light I'm running. And it's, we're Edmund Dantes running on the beach, man. Like I've been set free. I'm not there anymore. This is, how could I live my life ever the same way? When, I, when God has done this for me, I didn't deserve it. And yet he's been kind to me to rescue me out of the darkness. Excellency number two, once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Hosea referenced this, Acts chapter 9 as well, and mercy and identity. This is a theme that's in the Old Testament and new, but I have a people now. I have a people to belong to. Uh, There was a time when these Gentile Christians, their people... it was, a, it was a misguided, full of false and, and demonic worship in not, with, with not a rich heritage, but an evil heritage. And uh, didn't have a people. And now we get this idea here that, that we now have a people. That we are somebody. That we're in a group of somebodies by His grace. Now you're God's people. I used to not be God's people. And this is a story of not just Jew and Gentile, but every believer and non-believer. There, were, there was once a time in my life where I, I was not a people. I was just an island to myself amongst a sea of islands to themselves. And uh, tell you what, most of our family lineages, if you look back at them, are pretty dark. Pretty dark. Now, as God's people... My family lineage is pretty incredible. It comes with people like Charles Spurgeon in it. It comes with people like faithful dads and moms down from one generation to the next. It comes with faithful grandmas and grandpas. It's a lineage of people like George Whitfield. It's a lineage of people. Martin Luther. It's a lineage of people. St. Augustine. It's a lineage of people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a lineage of people. A man named Samson pretty cool dude with highs and lows, mountains and valleys, but 
But I have a family that's killed mountains and lions. I have a man in my lineage named David. I have a man ultimately in my lineage named Jesus Christ. And I belong to that people. And I can read about the Hebrews Hall of Faith. And then I can look back and tell about the legacy of faith in some of our families or some of the people in this room. And I can look back, generations back. And when there's been periods of even our country around the world of unfaithfulness, there are small groups of people, courageous men and women, who were kept by God and did not bow the knee. And they are my family. There are people right now unwilling to obey God, obey man over God, and right now are facing the threat of being beheaded and that are being beheaded, still killed, burned at the stake. People all across this world being filleted, literally filleted like American Indians used to fillet people as they're living evil, corrupt things because they're saying, I love Jesus and I will not recant. They're my family. They're the people I belong to. This group of people right here, it is a privilege to be amongst this group of people right here. You're my family. And the Christian family is such a wonderful thing. And it's this global thing. I have family all across the world. I have a people. I have a people to belong to. They're my people. It's not my people like uh, the Sparks lineage that goes back. It's not my people like the color of my skin. I could care less about any of that stuff. It's not my people like we came from Kentucky and through Tennessee and we were in Wales and England. So I'm a part of the kingdom of God. I'm a part of God's family. I have a people. So I want to proclaim that, that I have an identity now. I'm a part of God's people. And God took me from a place of not having a people and now I'm in a place that I do have people and I want to tell people how great it is to be a part of the body of Christ. Yeah, we're messed up. Yeah, it's easy to point out the flaws of the church. Jesus' bride is messed up. But Jesus sure does love her, and I love her too. We're part of God's people. Third, we have mercy. There was a time that you and I did not have mercy. Oh, certainly we had God's common grace. But once, not only were we not a people, and now we're God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, there was a time that every one of these churches that are being written to they had not received saving mercy. They were still in the category of enemies of God, in opposition to God, walking against the truth, in fact, suppressing the truth. That was a reality for everyone being written to, and it's the reality of everybody in this room, that there was a time that we did not have the saving mercy of God. But now, something changed. God gave us his saving mercy, and we've received it. By the grace of God, we have his mercy. So this, in this starter pack that the Apostle Peter just gives us, like, here you go. There's excellencies right here. Now proclaim Jesus for that. Like, proclaim these excellencies right here. Friends, this is why we belong to the Lord. It's why he's gifted us with the, the giftings and the abilities he's given us. It's so that we can use those for his glory and honor. It's so we can use those to live in the service of our king. It's so we can enjoy the truth that everybody else is trying to figure out who they are and what their identity is. It's a long, settled thing for us. The book is closed. We know exactly who we are. We belong to the Lord. Chosen race, royal priesthood. I, I don't deal with who I am anymore, and I'm never going to deal with it anymore because we know who we are. It's a closed book. We, it's, it's a settled deal. God's told us who we are. And so we exist now to proclaim these excellencies. And I find great comfort in the fact that 
I'm told why I exist, what's my mission, and why God saved me. I don't have to just wander around like a college student writing silly, ridiculous papers and asking people seri- you know, silly questions that sound intelligent that are just rooted in ridiculousness. So we exist for his glory. He saved us for his glory. So we now get to proclaim these excellencies. Let's close it up, put a bow on it. Every person in this room, if you belong to Jesus, you are saved to proclaim God's greatness. You are not saved to revel in your, sha- your image in the mirror. That's not why God saved you, to build narcissists. He saved you to shake you out of narcissism into a bigger mission than yourself. And I'm thankful for that. It doesn't mean that everybody is uh, called to be a preacher. It doesn't mean that every single person, when we're called to all proclaim his excellencies, it doesn't mean that everybody is called to preach, but it does mean that every single saved person cannot opt out of this mission to proclaim those excellencies. You've got to find a way to do it. That's why you exist. It means everybody is to live, every Christian is to live, to let people know with word and deed the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, the one who made you who you are. So who's around you? Real simple. Let's get into the real simple nitty-gritty of how this stuff is applied in real life. Let's apply theology. That's what applied theology is, theology and application. Doug Wilson says it's theology coming out of your fingertips. Let's apply it. Who's around you? And what has God gifted you to do? Okay, do what God's gifted you to do and declare or proclaim his excellencies, what Christ has done to those who are around you. For most of you, that's your household. That's your family. So let's think in concentric circles. Who's around you? Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Why have you been saved? To proclaim his excellencies to them. That's why. So that's going to work itself out through your abilities and competencies and the works of your hands providing you the avenue for your proclamation. So you're going to bump into people, again, family, friends, coworkers, students, neighbors. You're going to bump into them as you're just living your life, doing what God's made you to be able to do. And in that normal, everyday life, hey, um, I just want to tell you about what Christ has done for me. And have the courage to make it awkward if you have to. Sometimes with those that are closest to you, it's the most awkward family. And some of you need to dive into that conversation you've been avoiding with your family members and proclaim God's excellencies to them today. With our kids and grandkids, don't give up on your kids and grandkids. Kids, don't give up on your parents or grandparents. Proclaim the excellencies of what God has done for you to them. And let the competencies God has given you provide the avenue to do it. Uh, Nobody gets to opt out on this. Nobody. This is for every single Christian. Now, here's the deal. If we know that every one of us was Edmund Dantes, worse than Edmund Dantes, we weren't falsely accused. We were rightly, rightly accused, condemned to death, kicking and screaming all the way, saying we're innocent. And uh, if he transferred us out of that, and here we are on the beach together today, 
How can we possibly be silent? How can we sing these songs that we're about to sing? How can we stay silent to our children or our grandchildren or our parents or grandparents or to our neighbors or to our friends? Friends, we exist to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's pray.